0: I'll see I'm Chris tonight um, and uh, I'm one of the pastors at the Bridge Church. I'm yes. so really excited about being here uh, with you guys here at UNCW tonight. Um, throw in a picture of my family right quick so y'all can kind of see why I don't have a, <laughs> a money. Yep. Yeah, give me a second. My crest disappeared. Uh, She's going to pull it up in a second. But anyway, um, there are six people in my home. Um, well, actually, I got two children that are growing now. Um, so yeah, that's my family. That's my son when he graduated. He graduated this year. In the middle, he's off at UNC Charlotte. My oldest daughter, Deja, here on the far left. My youngest daughter, Kirsten, um, right here with a pink shirt on. That's my beautiful wife, Erica. I know she looks so young, you don't know who's the daughter or who's the daughter. <laughs> <laughs> <And> my daughter, <laughs> Christy, right here on the end, who at dinner tonight, after I made spaghetti. Um, sat down and we prayed. She prayed for y'all. So, oh. so I praise God for for my family. But yeah, this is it right here. And you see, I keep my shotgun loaded. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, I want to jump into what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, we're going to talk about God and masculinity. Masculinity. Now, um, let's go ahead and let me do like. Let's see what's going on here. Maybe I'll ask the ladies first. Um, just give, give me some adjectives that describe um, men in our culture. Just give adjectives. <laughs> Let me keep <laughs> Bible. It's going to be a minute before we get there, but I'll just go ahead and be ready for Romans 8, square root of 30. We're going to get there in a minute. Alright, so what is masculinity? So by definition, it's actually a social construct wherein with manhood is ascribed or given its qualities. It's very similar to what we just did right now. Manhood has often been defined by what society calls men at that time. Okay, so we all have in our minds what a man should be, um, and you got that from your experiences. You got it from conversations. You got it from uh, train of thought. of so you got it from parents and different places. It's come from a lot of different places, um, and we know that even today, like that we live in a time where how people identify is very important and is very protected, um, and it's a very hot topic today. World views. Um, um, centered around manhood, are uh, often not what we really see in, in God's word. Um, for that reason, even terms like toxic masculinity, um, which I've heard some of those terms come out, where under the traditional male roles, it leads men to being dominant and violent, and you know, or, or you, 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 it's machismo, and, and you, you, you suppress your feelings. You know, you, you're not, you don't really want to show emotion, and. You know, it, it's, it's not good if you're considered a crybaby and things of that nature. That's toxic masculinity. And um, and somehow, in the, in the midst of this, sometimes the Bible actually gets blamed for bringing a lot of these harmful aspects into our community and into a, our way of thinking. So I'm going to talk about that more in a little bit. But
1: but before we go there, I just
0: need to give you a little warning Because, you know, you need to be very careful when you co-sign a social construct. Be careful when you co-sign that. Especially if you call yourself a Christian. One one social construct that we all deal with, even right now, is race. Race is a social construct. Ethnicity is not. Ethnicity is something that you find in the scripture. Ethno. but race, black, white, whatever else, all that kind of stuff. It It was a social construct in order to create different social classes and things, especially here in America. That, that's one example of one. Um, but the, here's, the, here's the issue with, with, with social norms. Social norms of any era will always try to define what the new norm is and make the rules. For example, I heard my son say the other day, like he had a professor in one of his classes that said, you know, marriage is a social construct. You know, And, and if marriage becomes a social construct, that means that society, can can take the liberty to redefine it and say what it, what it should be here and there. Is marriage a social construct? No. God is the person that ordained marriage. In fact, you know I'm not, you know I remember I told my daughters and I you know you know am very protective over my girls and you know and I and I you know like sometimes I do wish I could arrange like a, a marriage. And <laughs> <laughs> I said, look, the first marriage was arranged. God created Adam. Then he, out of Adam he made Eve, he arranged that bad boy. Alright? <laughs> it, it was an arranged marriage. And here's what's interesting. The first marriage ever on earth was arranged, and guess what? The last marriage. Mm-hmm. Revelation 19, 6 through 9, where the people of God, the bride of Christ, that's me and you, if you love Jesus, will be married to the Lamb. That was arranged by God as well. So I can't not talk about that without getting to what what it means to be a man, because we hear about man early on in the Bible. Early on in the Genesis, everything got created, and then on the sixth day, God made man. So what I want to do really quickly is give you a quick recap on mankind, marriage, and kind of the current state of the human race. And then we're going to get to this. What does it mean to be a man? Kind of thing and masculinity and whatnot. So let me start off with creation. So in creation, the thing that we have to acknowledge, because we all believe that that God created the earth, He created everything. He's the Creator God, and one of the things He created was humans. And we know that initially, when God created everything in the creation, it was a perfect world. In fact, that there were four harmonious relationships that existed with mankind. First there was man and God. Man and God got along, man knew who God was. It wasn't like I, I, he didn't have to pray, and, and it wasn't like he, he could speak to God, and God would speak back to him verbally. They had this kind of relationship. In fact, man was created out of community. You say, what do you mean? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit created man. How do we know this? Because of Genesis 1, 1, 16, we we know that God said, he said, listen, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So we know that us being image bearers, we were different than the cows and and the giraffes and everything else. We were made in God's image and likeness by a community, by God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit. So there was a perfect relationship between man and God. There was a perfect relationship between man and himself. Okay? He knew exactly who he was. In fact, me. Because here's the thing. My son, you know, he did really well in school and everything. But one of the things I told him, I said, you know, he's the only other guy in the house. I said, you got a good job, man. He's like, what? I said, yeah, you got a good job. I was like, what? I didn't teach you how to go in and work. And he said, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. The first thing that Adam did when God created him was God gave that man a job. He said, hey, I want you to rule over this earth. I want you to subdue it. and. He was able to name things. It was hard right for him to have a job and have a place and have his identity and know the Lord. So God, will tell you right now, that's something that you need to know, that, that you need to have women. And so that's a quality that you need to know that's in a man. Does he know God? Does he have a job? <laughs> Does he have purpose? Because that's the order that was set up before the fall, which we're going to get to in a minute. But this was when everything was in harmony. Work is a great thing. Work was not supposed to be something that was very hard, but this is what happens right here. So man has this relationship with God. He has a relationship with himself. He also had a great relationship with the creation. You're like, what? Yes. I don't even know there were no hurricanes. <laughs> I don't think there were no mosquitoes either. Right? <laughs> but man had a relationship with the earth itself. The creation itself, and we're going to see that in a minute, you know, because when we get to Romans, you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. But the the creation itself actually was in agreement with man, all right? It was cool. I don't know why Adam was telling the tigers and the the bears and everything. You know, they were chilling. Everybody was good, all right? But that's what was happening, all right? The wind, the waves, everything. But lastly, he said God and man, God and himself, God, man, and creation. What about man and woman? We saw that first marriage. This marriage was great, it was perfect, and sometimes I think we just forget that you can look at every person in this world, you can go look at everybody, you can go to California, you can go out to Dubai, you can go down to Oaxaca, Mexico, you can go all over the place, you can go to every place you want to look. Here's something that we need to come to grips with, we need to always remember, that these two people right here are our right grandparents. Every every race, every ethnos, everything came out of Adam and Eve. And and that makes you wonder because I know you can't do it any justice when we try to find images of Adam and Eve. You know, I don't know, one of them might have been the the lightest person we ever seen, the other person was the darkest person we've ever seen. And out of them came all the races that we have and everything we (laughs) have. I don't know, but I know that those are grandparents. All of us got the same grandma and grandpa. all good. All right. All I DNA, everything they know it was in those two people. But then Adam and Eve were disobedient because they ate fruit that they were told not to eat. You always wonder why did that happen? I always tell my daughters, now listen, love is theory until the tested. Did you love God? That's tested. They didn't. They began to question their love of God. Satan was a part of that. They ignored that they were image bearers of their creator. And they allowed allowed their lust to trick them into thinking that they were greater than God. God, it's something you're not giving me. It's something I need to have that you haven't given me. And it's, it's in this fruit. No, it's not. We know it's not. Because that was the fall of man right there. The Bible says that Eve was deceived by Satan. Now, Adam was with her, but it doesn't say that Adam was deceived. It says Eve was deceived. Because Adam knew better, Eve knew better too. But the scripture is saying that because positionally, Adam was created first amongst two equals. God didn't create, this is just what, I'm just telling you what the text says. God didn't create Adam and Eve at the same time. He created Adam first. Adam was to be the leader. He didn't make Eve under him. He didn't put Eve above him. He put Eve beside him. He symbolically took his rib out. And then when Adam looked over and he saw Eve, he said, whoa, man. (laughs) That's that's where we got a woman from. And he said, I'm going to name her Eve because she will be the mother of all. But Adam was the leader, and that's why God looked to him first when he said, where are you? They were naked in the garden. Now here's the thing. God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere all the time. Does he really need to try to figure out where you are? No. He knew exactly where Adam was, but he was asking him this question because he wanted him to acknowledge that he was lost. So I can ask you that same question tonight. Where are you today? See, some of you that are lost, you're a direct recipient of what our grandparents did on that day. Because once that sin happened, all four of those relationships began to go down south. That relationship between man and God. the relationship between man and himself. Even to this day, some of the top seven books are books on identity and purpose. Man and creation. I don't understand why they ain't hurricanes. This is why there's hurricanes. This is why freak accidents happen. This is why all this sin came into the earth. And then that relationship between man and woman has been a mess ever since. And the only way, and gonna, I, I wish I had time to sit down and continue to go through how we got from there to here. But this is all you really need to know for right now, is that the only person that could rescue us from this mess and restore those relationships was Jesus Christ. He had to be a God-man. He had to be 100% man and 100% God. It was the only hope for humanity to get back a relationship with God from all the broken, brokenness that we cause as sinners. In fact, I love it. In the scriptures, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, it says this, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam that's referring to Jesus. Became a life-giving spirit. I love that. Here, first Adam, then we see the last Adam step on the scene. Then I love what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, watch this. He's a new creation. And that word is kainos. And I'm going to come back to that word in a minute. Kainos creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. And Jesus since he died over 2,000 years ago, has been restoring all four of these broken relationships. He's restoring that relationship between us and God. He's restoring that relationship between mankind and himself. He's restoring this relationship between us and creation. And we saw glimpses of it all throughout history because now he was giving some of us the power sometimes to pray and even impact all of those areas. I believe it was prayer that kept a Category 3 hurricane 50, 60 miles off the coast of Wilmington. It was just a year ago that a Category 1 was here and hung out for a while and caused mass destruction. A Category 3, God, ah, I won't be standing right here in front of you right now. That's prayer that did that. So I'm glad we have a God They gave us rules and we don't have to make things up. We don't have to base things on our circumstances. We can trust our creator. Now a lot of red jeep can be used for a lot of things. Driving on the beach in the middle of a hurricane is not what the creator can (laughs) keep wanting out of that Jeep. And I feel that manhood has steered off the course into the hurricane of life in the same manner. See, it, it, people have been questioning God for a long time. In Isaiah 45, verses 9 through 10, it said this. Listen to this. It says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Listen to this. <laughs> Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? or to a woman, with what are you in labor? None of y'all said that when y'all came out to mother's womb. My wife, man. <laughs> what do you know? Imagine if the technology that we invented just decided, and we created, right? Decided that I'm not gonna be what, I'm, what, what I was intended to be. I mean, imagine, there is this is something crazy, imagine the toilets. Like, right, you know what, I'm tired of being tall I'm to be you. <laughs> and the toilet got wheels on it and just riding around. Or, you know, we're just kind of like, uh, yeah, you made that work, but mm, I don't think that's the best way to get around. Um, you know, and that, that's thats what we do with so many issues. Politics, race, manhood, womanhood. Like, our, our worldview has is shaped by everything except the scripture. That's why that toilet, you know, I, I need you toilet to operate in the way that you were created. It's actually glorious that you are a toilet. Because if the toilet stop existing, we got problems. Right? <laughs> we got problems. That's what I love about the Bible. Because see, here's the thing. When you're in college, you're going to read a whole lot while you're in college. And you're going to read a whole lot of books. But I'm going to tell you right now, God's word is the only book that will ever read. This ancient text is not outdated, it's not irrelevant. It's just waiting for you to acknowledge that it's still useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, God's word is more concerned that you are in right standing with your creator. So instead of spending a lot of time apologetically defending the scripture or explaining why a fallen world would never be able to properly define manhood, I'm going to just drop, drop a few applications from Romans 8, 12 through 30 right here. All right? So let, let, let me start here. Have you ever got something that was like brand spanking new before? And there's certain things that are just really nice when they're brand new, right? And they usually have a certain smell. Like you get some brand new joy, you get some new joy. It's the smell of a snoot ad, right? <laughs> have you ever been in a new car before? It's the way that a new car smells, it's amazing. And, uh, in fact, there's what air fresh would call a new car scent. you know, so even if you got an old hoopty, you can put your new car seat in there <laughs> and make it feel like you're new, you know, a new house, you know, some of y'all got a little bit country, you know, the, the, when you smell fresh cut grass, that, that, that's something there, or or fresh coffee, right? You know, and again, I'm a southern boy, so what about fresh bacon, man? You wake up in the middle Fresh bacon is a hot pig. Thank you the best for blessing that kid. Yeah. You know, but uh, here's one. Here's my, here's my favorite. Because I'm new to Wilmington. I you know. I haven't been to Wilmington that long. Fresh. fresh out of the oil, Brits donuts.
1: <laughs> yes. In a white paper
0: bag. Somebody <laughs> <laughs> been praising <laughs> So, the question is, what does a new man smell like? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know what an old man smells like. But seriously, seriously,
1: what are the implications
0: of this gift of salvation when God makes you new? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. See that word new in the Greek. Here's the thing. This is this is why it is good to study words. That word in, 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 in the Greek means kainos. Now the word kainos actually means something that has un, something that is unused, something that is unprecedented, something that is unheard of, we, we, something that nobody has ever laid eyes on. So, so be, you mean to tell me that when Chris Green was was seventeen years old? that he was a sinner, born a sinner, grew up in a church, um, thought he was a Christian, realized that he was not a Christian at all, and had to give his life to Christ, and when he surrendered to Jesus, it says that he became a kainos, a new creation, something that people had never seen or heard or anything of that nature. Now what I love about that word is that it, it means that I did not become an imitation, I did not become a a, a duplication of or, or something else. And I wasn't even an in innovation. Because a lot of times when we say we create something, all we're really doing is taking something that we already have and we're making it. In fact, scientists know this. You heard them say it. Matter can't be created or destroyed. Not everything that we have on this earth right now is something we've already had. Somebody just figured out how to make innovation on it. Mm-hmm. This is not that. Jesus is the creator. That's why he made something that was kainos. Something that was new. And when you put your trust in Jesus, you become a new creation in Christ. So here's the thing. If you want to see a real man, that means that God is vertically reconciled into himself. And then you should horizontally see how it's playing out in their life. If you met a man of God, that means the, the impact that God has had on them impacts what's going on around them. Now, what would you do with a fresh mind, with a fresh heart, with a fresh new soul? Now, I have to do this directly. What would you do with that here at UNC County? What would you do with that new stuff? If you had a fresh new coffee, what you going to do? You're going to drop it. Mm-hmm. If you had some, some new coffee, you're going to drink it. We have a fresh bricks donut, you're gonna know, devour. Right. So what are you doing with new faith? What are you doing with a new mind? What are you doing with a new body? Well this passage shares on a few of these implications. And I, and I call it manhood 101 because, you know, you you guys are in college, you know that your freshman and your sophomore year usually you have to take what you call general education classes, right? And you do that, actually, they might get on your nerves, some of them weed read out classes and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's for your good. It's for your good. Because if when you do it, and you understand it, and you have a, a, a prerequisite course, it sets you up to have the foundations of what you need for later. If you ever had surgery before, you're really glad mm-hmm. that that doctor has some, I understood math, physics, and all that good old stuff. You didn't want them to skip those classes and then say, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a doctor. I I, 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 I call me doctor so-and-so. Like, you know, I need, I need you, you. You don't know what five plus five means? You're not a <laughs> doctor. You know, I, I, I need you to understand this. So while I could go into a whole lot of details about, um, you know, what it means to be a man and all these kind of things, there's some core things that we really need to understand and going really to So I'm going to jump on those really quickly. All right, so I'm going to get this slide. Um, you start to slide up, manhood, one I'm going to talk about four things tonight. I'm going to talk about your new obligation, the new obligation of a man, the new position of a man, the new view of suffering as a man, and then the new advantage that you had. You know. So I'm going to go through these. I'm going to try to walk through these really quickly, and I'll be out of your way. You can just leave that side up if you want to. So I just kind of hit my man as I remember. All right. So first, a new obligation, the new obligation—the obligation of a man. See, when decent, when you think about decent men, and I remember, I I, I was a men's pastor at one point. And I remember doing a men's treat, and I asked the men, I was like, you know, what comes to your mind when you think about being a, being a man? Here's some stuff that throughout. they threw out. They, you know, they said, you work. All right, you gotta pay the bills. And I asked them this question. I said, but what happens when you work hard as you can and you still can't pay the bills? They said, yeah, you got to be a protector. You know, you protect your family. You you protect those around you. And some people even go into the the military to protect their country. I said, yeah, but but what happens when you do everything you can to protect your son or your daughter, but you can't protect them from the enemy that's within themselves? Okay. you know, being a man is being strong. Like, yeah, you got to be strong physically, emotionally, and mentally. But what happens when you can't bench 250 no more, and you're an emotional and mental wreck? I'm going to tell you what happens. You begin to question your manhood. You begin to question your purpose. You question your faith. You question God. And brothers, let me tell you something right now. I'm 42 years old. I've been married over 20 years. And I will tell you this right now. Money will fail you, your education will fail you, your job will fail you, your wife will fail you, your family will fail you, your physical body will fail you. I need to go out bathroom right now, my glasses is really. <laughs> <laughs> but most importantly, most importantly, you will fail you. So what does that mean? Well, that, that just sounds grim. What, what are you talking about? Your manhood needs to be grounded in something besides everything else. It needs to be grounded in someone. It needs to be grounded in somebody who is sustainable when everything else around you fails. You need an anchor. So when you look at verses 12 and 13, keep that in mind. Verses 12, Romans 8, 12 and 13. Romans 12, so then brothers, I hope you're reading along with me. We are, what's that word right there? Debtors, debtors, Wait a that, that's the description? Yes, that's the description. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for so if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to what? Death, the deeds of the body, you will live. See, fellas, if you want to live as a new man, you have to accept that you have an obligation or an eternal debt to the Spirit of God. That's what it's saying here. You're, you're not a debtor to the flesh. You, you should be a debtor to God. That means you have a new obligation, a new debt. Because your old debtor, your old debtor, because here's the thing, you're going to be in debt to something. And your old debt was sin, and sin was killing you softly. The Bible says the wages of sin equals death. But our new debtor gives us life. Your flesh is getting worse by the second. You would think that at 42, being in the faith, as long as I've been in it now, that it would be easier for me not to be in my flesh. But actually, my flesh is worse at 42 than it was at 18 when I gave my life to Christ. A lot of times what people are trying to do, they're trying to grow to the point where they don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. But the mature person, the wise person, learns how to increase their dependency on God because I live in a fleshly body. My flesh is not going to get better. My flesh, 40 years from now, is going to be worse than what it is right now. Why would I think that if I was born in sin, that this thing that I was born in sin, this is just going to automatically get better and better and better. That's worldly thinking. That's what the world tells you. You should automatically just be a better person. I, I, I remember, I think Oprah, somebody said it one time, I don't, I don't believe that if people are bad, they just you know, we're good, we're, deep down inside we're really good people and we do do bad things sometimes. I'm like, nah, actually we bad around. Deep down inside, because we were born this way, we're bad people that happen to do good things sometimes. And we wanted to we want to define our lives by the good things that we do. And it confuses us. So that's what I'm trying to get at right here, is that you can't play with your flesh. There was a woman that had a pet bear. Yeah, you should laugh. (laughs) She she named him Teddy, and he bawled her. (laughs) Yes, Teddy bear, bawled her. So, so it's interesting because Teddy might have been cute when he was a baby. Teddy bear, oh no, Teddy bear, Teddy bear. But Teddy's a bear. Now I'm telling you, dudes, if you're playing with pornography, if you're playing with it, it will wrong you. You can try to justify it, you can try to make it cute, you can do whatever you can call it, whatever you want to call it. Any kind of sin in your life, if you're going to sit there and play with it, it's going to take you out. That's why it says in the passage, put it to death. You need to be, see the idea of death is so fundamental. It's so fundamental. You, you always need to depend on the spirit God. I got another story I want to tell. I'll save that for another time. Alright. Let me tell you, let's talk about the second Your new position. The new position of man. Look at verse 14 it says, for all who are led, being shepherded, by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received I love this. What kind of spirit? Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with with our spirit that we are children of God, and children and heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Two things really quickly you should see right here. That makes a big difference in you understanding what it really means to be a man. Now here's the thing. A lot of this applies to ladies as well because this is about mankind, if you will. But since we talk about masculinity, I want to go hard on the fellas, all right? First thing is your adoption. Now here's the thing that's beautiful about adoption. Adoption is beautiful because somebody chooses you before you ever had a chance to choose them. My oldest daughter is a doctor. And when you know when she found out, you know, years later it was a little rough and I think she was embarrassed by it and everything. And I just said, no, 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 no. me help you understand something. You see them three over there? She was always three more came after her. I said, I love you to death. But we chose you. I don't know how they got. <laughs> Understand that. We said we want you. We want Deza, You're my my girl. Now, here's the thing. If there is an adoption, I don't know if anybody here is adopted or whatnot, uh, but if somebody had to be adopted, that means that there was something broken in their life. That means something happened where parents weren't able to parent parent shows not parent, there's some brokenness is there. We already established, and we live in a father's world, there's some brokenness. Now, according to this passage right here, it says that we needed to be adopted, which means you need to understand that something was broken in your life, because according to Jesus, if God wasn't your father, Satan was. And before Jesus, I don't care how good your parents were, You need to understand that Satan was your dad. And adoption is your only option to be a believer. But you got to understand that. And you got to know that. That's why this is one of the most important things you need to understand. Men, you need to understand that, listen, I, I got a daddy that lies to me, that betrays me, that wants to destroy me. And my, my life has been broken. He, makes me, he wants me to believe these things about the women in my life, about myself. And my, you need to understand that he's there and he's whispering and he's trying to deceive you all along. And if you trust Jesus, you've got to understand that you've never adopted into a new family. And that's very important. And not only that, you don't have to be fearful anymore. You get to cry out, Abba, cry. Dad, even referred to God as that. Our father, who art in heaven. And the disciples were like, whoa, we never heard anybody talk like that before. Because he's saying, listen, this is the kind of relationship this is. This is not like just, you know, like the king is just so far off. This is your daddy. Have you ever cried out to God? Let me tell you something. Real men cry out to God. Real men cry out to God. Ladies, if you want to see a real man, then you need to you need to see, does he get desperate for Jesus? So not only did we receive his adoption, but it says we receive an inheritance. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know anybody that don't want to receive an inheritance. I wish somebody would walk up to me and say, Chris, you know this, but uh, Bill Gates, adopted you a lady. used to tell you, you stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> about it. Like, you must not about Bill Gates, my son? daddy? <laughs> You start. You just walk with a different kind of swag. You're a big right? <laughs> and Chris, how are you gonna pay for your son's tuition over there at USC? Start. Man, it pays my dad. All the bills. How much more confident, though? What kind of? See, your fearlessness as a man. Watch this. Is not in who you are, but you built yourself up to be. It's in the fact that you know that you have an inheritance from your earthly father. That's what gives you the faith to step out into things that other people just are not going to step out into. That's why when Paul said, I can do all things through through Christ, it gives me strength. When he said that, he's referring to all the crazy stuff that's going on in his life. He's talking about when he couldn't eat, when I didn't have anything to eat. I know what it's like to depend on Jesus all everything. I know what it's like to get beat so bad that I was left to dead. I know what it's like to be a prisoner on a ship, and then the ship, pretty much uh, out in the middle of the sea, is shipwrecked, and still make it some kind of way. I know what it's like to be full-time in ministry. This is all life to be full-time in ministry. At one point, in the next minute, I got to be. I got to make tents over here. He's saying, "One thing I've learned: I learned how to be content in all the situations." Because I got an inheritance. It's grounded in my dependence on the spirit. It's grounded in my adoption. I know that God chose me. He knew that. And he knew that God chose him to have a ministry. Watch this, because Paul was a person that, 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 for a long time, was persecuting Christians. When Jesus knocked them off the horse and blinded them, he said, the kind of ministry that you're going to have, Paul, is the kind that's going to be based on suffering. Because that kind of leads to the next thing a new view on suffering. Suffering is something that all of us are always trying to avoid. Let's read what it says right here in verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings, verse 18, of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Watch this. Remember when we talked about how creation was broken? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The rocks, the trees, the wind, the waves, the animals, it knows that man has been out of order for a very long time and is waiting, right here. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from his bondage to and to obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Because Jesus is here. And not only the creation, but ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit. groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul just basically is encouraging the mess out of Christians that suffer. Now, some of y'all are very young, 18, 19, 20, 21, and the statistics are right. some of y'all have been through hell already. You suffer, no one likes to suffer. You did come to college to suffer. And I'm going to tell you something. The Bible doesn't tell you to enjoy your suffering. But it does say this, count all joy when you suffer. Because when you suffer, it's an identity marker that you've been adopted by God. It's proof that you're, chil- that you're children <coughs> of God. Quite frankly, this is how you know you have something in common with Jesus. It's one of the ways that the Bible says that you actually get to know God. I wish that I could just know God by reading my Bible, singing the worship, praise, the you know, worship song, you know, talking to my friends in Bible study. But what if one of the ways He wants to get to know you better and you know Him is through suffering? Martin Luther King said it like this. He said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but, when he stand, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. A lot of us didn't name suffering when we wanted to name an adjective for a man. And if you think that being meek is weak, try being meek or weak. Why is suffering working? Why is it working? Well, according to this passage, it says that it pales in comparison to the glory that is ahead. You get to exchange this temporary pain for eternal presence of God. Don't forget that creation itself is waiting on you. It's waiting on what the new Adam has done and how the new Adam, the last Adam, Jesus, has placed his dominion back to us to be a blessing, be blessed to be a blessing. You've heard that, that saying before, no pain, no gain. Actually, it's no pain, no rain. There's hope beyond suffering, y'all. And there's no hope like the hope that we got. I love our hope because our hope is not a wish. Our hope is based on a promise. And I want to encourage you that not death, not disease, not divorce, not depression, not destruction, not debt, not doubt. None of those things can change the hope that you have in Christ if you patiently wait. And hope is worth every ounce of your suffering. And let me tell you about the last thing. This is where I get so excited because this is the last thing i want to share with you. It's about the new advantage that you have. Now, all throughout this passage, we've been hearing about him. Let's listen to what it says here. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Do we know what our real needs are? Or do we know how we should really pray for others? Do we know what God's will is? If you don't, it says, but the Spirit himself, now listen to these words, intercedes for us, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, listen, you're going to talk to a lot of people on this campus that have a lot of different faith, a lot of different gods. Does your God right now, as we're speaking, is he alive, and does he intercede for you right now? Does he know how to pray for you when you don't know how to pray? That's what this is saying in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, y'all know this verse, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's the verse that nobody ever quotes, which is verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, the reason why all that stuff work together for your good is so that you can be more like Jesus. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Nothing is more masculine than a man that is led by the Spirit of God. I think my sister back there is one that said, one of the things that describes a man is self-control. Where do you get self-control from? Self-control is something that's supernatural. Most men are not monog- are not monogamous. Naturally, you don't want to be monogamous. Nat- but Naturally, you want to be with as many females, if, if that's what your desire is, as you can. And even if it ain't females, it's, it's lust, and you want to be with whoever you want to be with, because lust just wants to please itself. That's how we are naturally. I was born a sinner. So I need something supernatural to be in my life, To give me self-control. The fruit of the spirit. What is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, temperance, kindness, self-control. Fruit of the spirit. Not something that you got to conjure up. Nothing that comes up in your mind. You have a spirit living inside of you. You become more like Jesus. So... I just want to ask you that question as we close tonight. Are you becoming more like Jesus as a man? Is your masculinity defined in Christ Jesus? Are you becoming more like Jesus in your classroom? Are you becoming more like Jesus in your dorm room? Are you becoming more like Jesus around your roommates? Are you becoming more like Jesus on the basketball court? Are you becoming more like Jesus when you're